Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you listening online, good morning to you also. We are in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Apostles, the actions taken place by the believers after Jesus ascended. We will take verses 12 through 26, Acts chapter 1. It will take us about, well, less than three minutes to to stand and read (coughs) verses 12 through 26. Would you please stand? (coughs) Beginning at verse 12 in under three minutes. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called, in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Please be seated. What a magnificent book. A lot this morning, I hope, to give, uh, to give you to think about. Of course, I want you to agree with me 100% all the time about everything, <clears throat> every decision, every teaching, and yeah, that's not going to happen, but let's see if we can get close. I will certainly uh, differ with a lot of Bible teachers on several things in this section of Scripture, and I think it's going to be kind of exciting. The title for this morning's message is Well-Meaning Interference. Uh, That is something that we all must guard against in our own service towards Christ. Sometimes we mean well, but we just get in the way. 
We become part of the problem, and that's what we're going to see here this morning. Looking at verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem on the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Well, where it says, and they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, that they were on the eastern slope facing Bethany, where, they, where the Lord ascended. I don't know if I put enough emphasis on verse 3 when, it, when Luke tells us that Jesus showed himself to the apostles with many infallible proofs. Not just the resurrection, that fact, but the miraculous appearances and, and what he would do. It's just too much for them to record. And so suffice it to say that when they returned from uh, the mount called Olivet and watched the Lord ascend, they were loaded up with faith and trust. We would say they were stoked, but still, not enough. There was more to come. And, and we're at that phase right now in this chapter where they're believers, they have the Spirit, they're just not overflowing with the Spirit, that will come later. A Sabbath day's journey, that's the, how the distance they traveled from where Jesus ascended back into the uh, city limits of Jerusalem, about a half mile. That would be the longest distance a Jew was allowed to travel without breaking Sabbath. Though it doesn't explicitly say that it was the Sabbath. Luke just says it's about a Sabbath day's journey. The rabbis had put standards in place, and more standards, and standards on top of standards, and, top, and just ad infinitum. Uh, but anyway, uh, near Jerusalem, where they crucified and entombed the Lord, and he rose again. Verse 13, And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Well, this upper room, not necessarily the same upper room where the Last Supper took place. I know we read it and we just kind of think, oh, this is the upper room. Well, that's where the Last Supper was. But we've got to be careful here because there, if we want to stay true to the facts and understand what was really going on in the lives of these believers, we, we're going to have, we can't skip over the numbers of participants uh, that upper room, for example, some, you know, would think that the upper room was where, you know, when Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit uh, manifested himself, tongues of fire. That wasn't the upper room. You're not going to get 3,000 people into that environment. So things like that. I'll come back to that in a moment. But if we glance down at verse 15, for example, uh, which implies that they were moving around at verse 15, and in those days Peter stood up. The implication is there was a lot of activity in that probably the last 10 days uh, before Pentecost. Uh, they're moving around. They're at the temple. They're in upper rooms. They're just uh, very active, very excited. By Acts 2, uh, it will be a different place when the Spirit uh, falls on them. Otherwise, subsequent events become problematic. If this is the same upper room as the Last Supper... And the Spirit then comes upon them there. Uh, you, again, you have 3,000 people responding to Peter's message. Just the ones that respond to the message. 3,000, uh, almost, about. Uh, too many for a local city block. However, the temple, that would be a perfect venue. 
many available spaces and porticos for them to be. I'm setting you up for when we get to chapter 2, because it's such a big chapter for Christians, for Christianity. And it is not a chapter to be dismissed or, or just rushed through. Luke tells us this. It's very insightful. <clears throat> Luke 24, verse 52 and 3. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. You see, that that's where they stayed. That's their uh, would accommodate the, the amount of disciples that were gathering, waiting for the promise of the Father. And, incidentally, Peter will tell us when the Spirit comes that it was uh, the hour of prayer. It was also the Passover, which mandated the men be there. So Jerusalem, at about this time, was going to be buzzing with a lot of male activity because, again, it was mandated. Three feasts the men had to be at, and Pentecost was one of them. Well, it mentions Peter, always at the very top of the list. He was a natural leader, and uh, though I strongly believe he blunders in this chapter, it doesn't take away from the value of the greatness of this man, Peter. The the Holy Spirit just, you know, endears us to this man, and at the same time says, hey, look, he's just like you, messed up. And, so, uh, and yet loved and used at the same time. Uh, some of you may think that you just, in public ministry, you may be afraid to enter public ministry or to serve in the church is what I'm talking about, because you may fail. Uh, don't let that stop you. Uh, you, you, you know, that's, that's part of life, and, and God will be there with you, and that's where much growth will take place. Bartholomew. I don't get to say his name about four times in a morning, but I have so far. Uh, Many scholars equate Bartholomew with Nathaniel. We can't spend too much time on these names. The story is about Christ. His, his, His friends and believers are here, but we could be here a long time if we zoomed in on each name. So I'll just pass over a couple of them. Matthew, the tax man. In parallel passages in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, Um, The name of the tax collector that was called from his office of collecting taxes was also Levi. Uh, They had, it was not uncommon for them to have a Gentile and a Jewish name in those days, uh, dual names in the Roman Empire. Simon the Zealot, well, he served with Matthew, and that's kind of odd. Zealots viewed tax collectors as traitors, but... Christ entered their lives, and all that changed. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So to kind of just talk about this zeal that Simon had before Christ for his nation, the nationalism that was in his heart, uh, zealots eventually, that group that he was no longer a part of, they degenerated into a group of assassins known as the Sakari. Uh, the Latin for the dagger man, because they became uh, assassins. And that fanaticism contributed to provoking Rome and uh, landing everyone in the Roman-Jewish war. The zealots took control of Jerusalem in 66 AD, and four years later, of course, the Romans, um, well, they besieged the city, and then eventually they, they took it with much bloodshed and retribution from Rome, Uh, and, of course, the destruction of Jerusalem. Their last stronghold would be the fortress of Masada, and, uh, again, the Romans 
uh, it fell to the Romans in 73 AD. So brief story about that group that he belonged to. They became fanatical and violent, but Simon was no longer a part of them. But he was remembered as one who was there. Again, the contrast between Matthew, the one working for Rome in the eyes of the zealots, and Simon, and they served uh, together. Uh, verse, and the church has been doing that for centuries. People who would otherwise be enemies have come together as brothers and sisters. Verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. These all continued with one accord. God's truth is a separating force or it's a uniting force. It's up to the individual how they respond to the truth of God. Here they are united. They're in one accord. And, uh, you know, the end of God's word is not wisdom. So valued by the world's learned, that's their goal. The Greeks, when Paul begins to expand into Gentile territory, uh, the world so cherished um, wisdom. But it is holiness that the Christians are more concerned with. And you know, when we sing songs about the holiness of God, the hands go up, the hearts go out to the Lord. We love that purity of our God. Uh, it is not without wisdom, but God's wisdom is never without his holiness. And the world, we, we, they don't understand that, and hopefully we'll be able to share it. In prayer and supplication, well, Scripture and fellowship and Scripture, fellowship, prayer, and the presence of Christ, these were dominant within the early church, and they're supposed to be with us to this day. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of Christians opt out of the Scripture part. Oh, they'll say they like the Scripture, but they really are kind of bored by it. Uh, But the church, without the Holy Spirit, it was good. And this is what we're looking at these 40 days, the good church, but it was not great. I hope that resonates with us. The church without the Holy Spirit upon it, filling it, overflowing through it, was good. It was not great. It lacked passion for the Samaritans and the Gentiles. I offer that as exhibit one. But by Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 will birth Acts chapter 8 and chapter 10, where the Samaritans are reached and where the Gentiles are reached, and it just keeps going from there. And that is because of what takes place at Pentecost. Here it says, with the women. Now this is critical also, because the women did, you know, they went to the marketplaces, they prepared the meals. They weren't always available to be in this number, but this time they are. As we move through, we'll see that they're not, and when they are, it is mentioned. There's no slight. Uh, You know, just uh, reject that feministic view of having to somehow always have men and women uh, equal in their activities. We are equal in value to God. God does not see men above women or women above men. They are equal in value, but they are separate in their assignments in, in some areas. Women give birth to children. Men are to lead the house, not as tyrants, but as Uh, beloved leaders, and this is uh, the pattern that the world hates, but the Bible teaches. Satan hates it very much, and so he spends a lot of energy coming against it, especially when uh, women go off to college. Anyway, it's with the women who were very supportive of 
the Lord's public ministry when he ministered there in Israel. And uh, this would suggest that where they are now meeting, <clears throat> it um, is not at the temple area. The temple area had the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles, and all of the, again, the porticos, and the, it's just all these little uh, areas to meet. And, and they pretty much stayed uh, separate and to this day in many of the uh, practices of Judaism in some of the synagogues, the men sit on one side and the women sit on the other. Well, you should know this because the apostles had to deal with this. Uh, they were, that the women were, were with the men here praying was remarkable. Christ did that. Judaism did not do this. And uh, it, it's no, to say it's not Judaism, to make the distinction, is not anti-Semitic at all. I mean, I don't know how you can be a Christian and hate the Jews or anybody as a people goes. Um, granted, there may be some people, groups you don't care for as much as others. Maybe you don't like their food or, or just their culture, but that has nothing to do with uh, being an enemy of those people. But when we come to the scripture, we have to call it like it is. Uh, the rabbinical Judaism was brutal, and Christ took every chance he could get to go against it. And he left his apostles to have to deal with it also. And much of this separation is because of the rabbis. Anyway, here are the women praying alongside the men. Uh, when we get to Pentecost, the emphasis will be on the men, not by uh, not intentionally, it's just the way it was. The women, again, home, doing things, and the men were uh, there at the temple. Uh, we'll get to that in chapter 2, but not this morning. Uh, uh, Pentecost, again, as I mentioned, likely occurring at the temple. Just for example, chapter 5, verse 14 of Acts, to, to make my point. Uh, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so when they make, they make that distinction because of the things that I just pointed out, the differences in how the genders had their assignments and, and kept to it. It says here, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, wait a minute. They're here praying. Mary is present, but no one's praying to her. That's not little. This is big. She would have considered it blasphemy to pray to her. She'd have called you out. No one would be, dare be so foolish and sinful to pray to her at this time. Is anyone so anti-Scripture to believe that they are saying, Hail Mary, Mother, um, do, you, do you really think that that was going on at this point? Uh, there's no scripture. All the Scripture is against such a thing. Mary is called the mother of Jesus. Never in Scripture is she referred to as the mother of God. How can God have a mother? The mother of Jesus. She is the one. And now listen, no slight on Mary. Mary was blessed among women, a virtuous woman, and I'm looking forward to meeting her. We don't vilify her because others have injected into pseudo-Christianity Mary worship. And I'm not going to not, I'm not going to put a, gag order in place and say, well, I might hurt somebody's feelings. I can't speak the truth. Nonsense. Uh, this is what the Bible is teaching. And uh, there are those who would like to believe that she is co-equal with Christ in our redemption, which is blasphemous. There are those who take the names of Jesus and Mary from the Bible and leave all this truth behind. They just cherry-pick the names and do what they want to do. 
Uh, it is, again, flat-out blasphemy to pray to Peter, to Mary, or to anyone except God. And Jesus, of course, is God the Son. Mary worshipped, invaded the church about 250 years, a little more than uh, from this time in the book of Acts. And once that came in, bringing all the pagan practices with it, the ridiculous, baseless stories, it is astounding what people will believe once they overrule Scripture. Once they just sort of, as I mentioned, take the names out and forget everything else associated with those names in the Bible and begin to put other things on them. It is astounding. I mean, Joseph Smith with the Mormons, you put these glasses on and you can see all sorts of stuff. And people believe this. To this day, they believe it. (sighs) Anyway, we do not read of virtuous Mary again in the scripture after this. Meaning she played no leading role in the development of Christianity and the church. And it's not an insult. It is an honor. her, Her position in scripture is very honorable. Uh... So it says here, with his brothers, Mary had other sons, and now they're saved. And scripture says she was no perpetual virgin. To, to try to say, well, those were Joseph's sons. Come on, that's not what the Bible teaches. You make, your, you make your choice. You choose what the Bible says or what someone else says. And it, it always comes down to that. But uh, <clears throat> the question is, his brothers was there, Mary was there. Where were the multitudes that Christ had healed and laid his hands on and taught? Well, this is not intended to be an exhaustive list. In fact, the 120 we'll come to in a minute is a different event. And still, there were the 500 in Galilee, for there were others that believed. Uh, but just the 500, just take that for an example. Imagine going into a courtroom with that many witnesses on your side. 500 people who said, we saw him crucified and then risen. Uh, and these were credible people also. But the world does not want it to be that way, uh, well, as a whole. But there are individuals for whom it is going. They are going to believe the message. We just don't know who they, who they are. Before I got saved, there were many people who said, there's no way. He's super lost. And, there's just, and then I get saved. So uh, they didn't know I was going to get saved. I didn't know I was going to get saved. And to this day, you don't know what unbelievers will come to Christ. So don't lose heart. Keep at it. And don't think that it's going to be necessarily the one that you've been praying for. Could be somebody else. Uh, we, we don't want to interfere. We want to be usable instruments in the hand of God. And he is no respecter of persons. Um, that is not a, a scary thing. That's a sobering thought. That God is going to adhere to his truth and his holiness no matter what people might feel. Verse 15, and in those days, we've got a lot more here. Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said. Now, so when he says, and in those days, it's a disjunctive. It breaks from what he was talking about. And he's now coming to another event within that um, 10 day or so period before, uh, or between the ascension of Christ and Pentecost. Remember, Luke is writing 30 years after these events to a Gentile named Theophilus. And he says, hey, in those days, 
This is old school, he's saying to Theophilus. In those days, Peter stood up. So, uh, again, this verse is separate from verse 14. And you'll miss that, at least I have uh, at times uh, in the past. You kind of think, well, this is the 120 that's named with the apostles and Mary, uh, but it really is, is not. Uh, Peter stood up in, their midst of, in the midst of the disciples. What a wonderful phrase. I'd like that to be said about me. He stood up in the midst of the disciples, not during service. Now, there's no standing up now, except the preacher man. Uh, but just in life, to stand up in the midst of the disciples. Anyway, that's a, a bit of an allegory, uh, but that's, we move, move on. All together, bottom of verse 15, the number of names about 120. And again, uh, it would be difficult to accommodate that many people in, in the local upper rooms of the city. They're likely back at the temple, as I read from Luke's gospel, where that's where they, were, they, they tended to rove before Pentecost. Verse 16, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Those apostles, they never, whenever Judas' name came up, they, you know, they, they just had that traitor kind of a spirit. And you, you can't blame them. They were very much hurt by that whole thing. I mean, they spent three years with him. They thought he was one of them. And he betrayed the Lord and he betrayed them. But where he says men and brethren, uh, fellow believers, is whom he's talking to at this point, because there's no outreach yet. They're not reaching anybody. Everything we're reading right now before Acts chapter 2 is about the believers. And, And the Holy Spirit's going to be the one to change all that or expand it. The scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, this is in contrast to those who claim Christ and devalue scripture. We don't do that. Uh, The scripture is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Son. I mean, it's a big deal. Scripture is not a little thing for us. It's not secondary. It doesn't line up behind our feelings. It dictates to us. And we are supposed to love it so much. And John received the revelation. He loved what was said to him. He lost all of his strength. And that was just at the beginning. What Christian approves of the Bible, of Bible teaching being distracted or, you know, interfered with? What Christian would, would you know, let's open up a Chick-fil-A in the sanctuary and so as service is going on, you can get yourself, you know, some waffle fries and whatever else they have. Of course, that would be absurd. What Christian supposes a true church can grow through the preaching of the word being messed with, interfered with? Who believes that? Would you sign off on something like that? You see, Satan knows that we try to reduce distractions from teaching because it is thus saith the Lord at this time. He routinely sends those who disagree with this determination, our determination to guard uh, the, from the distractions, 
From the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, Satan has been trying to shake man's respect from God's word. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the women, woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You see, he's messing with the word. He does it with you in your alone time. When you say, I've got to have my devotions and he'll, you know, distractions will come. And the flesh will accommodate. And you've got to fight for the word. Imagine a pastor who just was too lazy to study. And stepped up in his pulpit and just told you the same things you already know. Every single time he got up there. Jesus loves you. You're saved from your sins if you come to him. Well, that's true. And it's vital. But there's much more than that. So, not a speck will pass away, Jesus said. Not a dot. Not a apostrophe, it won't pass away. And this is the value the kingdom of God puts on it, and we must too. And my, to, I'm, it's heartbreaking to see how many people name Christ and really just aren't moved by God's word. He says here, which the Holy Spirit spoke. There is the word before the mouth of David concerning Judas. God speaks through believers. And what David wrote was scripture. The entire life of Jesus fulfilled what was prophesied about him. That, that's how serious God was about it, including the sufferings. At this point in church history, there was no Bible except the Old Testament. There was no New Testament yet. Peter's scripture knowledge skyrocketed at this time. Though he lacked anointing. But he still, he, he, you know, he, he, we'll, I'll come to Luke's quote about that later, later on. But Peter knew enough to know that he better start getting into the scripture like never before. And it's going to come out when he starts preaching in Acts chapter 2. Without anointing, believers have this fall prey to this risk of knowing the Bible with misapplication. Without the Holy Spirit, you can know the Bible, you can learn the stories of the Bible, but your application is going to fail. And that's what we're going to watch in a moment. Yes, Peter had the Spirit in him. He was spiritually awakened. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on the apostles. But there was another experience to happen, the promise of the Father. He was spiritually awakened, all of them were, but spiritually weak also. They were not yet endured with power from on high, according to Luke 24, 49. We do not read of them making converts until Pentecost. You give your life to Christ. Some Christians are filled right away. I, I was filled right away. I mean, when I came to Christ, it just they came together. I couldn't wait. Just, you know, so excited, just weeping all the time out of joy and happiness, almost giddy. I, I couldn't understand why my friends didn't want to hear it. I just was such a, you know, new believer. It's like, you've got to listen to this. Listen to this verse. And just, and, and calling people, hey, you want to get together for lunch like we always do? And, and they're not answering the phone, lying to me. He's not home. And I can hear him saying, tell him I'm not home. Uh, that really wasn't exactly how it was, but I knew they were there. Just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean someone's not after me. 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Peter goes back to here in verse 16, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Uh, at this time, of course, Judas is dead and he is damned. And that's what he is. He's, he's, he's laying out before them. God used the betrayal of Jesus, of course, and his purposes for saving sinners. But as an individual, Judas is, is done. Verse 17, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Well, Judas was chosen by Christ himself. There have only been 13 men handpicked by Jesus to be apostles. Judas was one of them. He forfeited his position, and that's where Peter is going with this. He is the greatest underachiever in history. Imagine being handpicked by Jesus Christ to be with him and then to carry the resurrection, to lead with the message of the resurrection after the ascension, and then to throw all that away. How hard, how hard it is to see Christians go to a good church. And I know that there are people in other churches will be listening to these messages online at different times. And, and maybe this is for you. How difficult it is to watch Christians going to a good church and Satan trip them up over something silly. And they leave that good church. And then they flounder. It happens so often. Uh, maybe not, I'm not talking about the loss of salvation. I'm talking about the loss of serving. Uh, the privilege, the high privilege it is. It is the church's duty to offer positions to serve. Uh, so much action takes place there. Anyway, uh, it, Judas ran out of confidence in Christ. Why is that? Because he did not enthrone Christ on his heart. Christ really wasn't the master, the Lord. He was, uh, you know, this Messiah figure was something other. But uh, the others, the other 11, of course, they enthroned Christ on their heart. And that was the downfall of Judas. In verse 18, now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. The money he got from betraying Christ. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his entrails gushed out. Gasp. <laughs> Uh, that's there for you teens to keep you awake. Because you may be like, ooh, there's entrails. Tell us about the entrails. Well, there was the... <clears throat> Judas was, as I mentioned, uh, chosen by Christ. And yet, that's what he did with the choice. He got close to him and he betrayed him. Well, he gives the money back. But they take that money that they paid him. And they could not keep it because they considered it blood money. So they, they purchased a burial plot for Judas after his death. Romans chapter 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. And uh, that is pronounced here. Falling headlong. Okay, so he, he goes to hang himself and he, he falls head first. Likely what happened, uh, the rope, either the rope broke, the branch broke, or the knot slipped. Uh, you know, if you are going to tow a car with a, uh, some sort of a rope, uh, you want to get a little strain on that rope, make it tight. Because if you just pull off when it's loose, it's going to snap the rope more than likely. Well, if he doesn't know what he's doing and he just jumps and there's a lot of slack in that line and it's going to jerk and either break the branch <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> or, uh, <coughs> uh, or the rope. Anyway, that's just the mechanics 
of, of him falling, going to hang himself and falling, and he lands on the rocks. Evidently, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Uh, so Peter was uh, very uh, articulate <laughs> about this, very detailed. What a waste of an invested three years with Jesus. All gone, just like that. Verse 19, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called, in their own language, a keldama, <clears throat> that is, field of blood. Well, this was headline news about the apostate who walked with Jesus for three years, and then goes out and kills himself, and it's a gory death. And so everybody, the talk of the town, and it became known, it says in their own language, to everyone dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is, is called, in their own language, a keldama. Aramaic words, the vernacular of the first century Jews, writing to Gentiles about these events 30 years later in the Greek language, which was more widespread. The Greek language was used, uh, you know, throughout the Roman Empire, thanks to Alexander the Great. Or, and uh, uh, that's the language God would use to spread the gospel. Uh, and it was very effective. That is the field of blood, bottom of verse 19. Judas should have been associated with the blood of the Lamb. And instead, it's this field of blood that he ends up with. One, one pastor says in one of his sermons, the one traitor in the inner circle of Christ's kingdom became his own executioner. That's not how it was supposed to be. And it only happened that way because he betrayed Christ. He turned against him. He became an apostate and a traitor. Verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Now, would we have known that those Psalms were prophetic of Judas in connection to the Messiah had it not been for Peter's interpretation? Would we have connected? If we did not have Peter telling us this, would we have read the Psalms and said, ah, he's talking about Judas? Well, maybe. But listen, this is what I meant earlier about, I hope you've been listening the whole time. And when I say listen, that doesn't mean, okay, now start listening. <laughs> when I mentioned Peter's knowledge of Scripture skyrocketed, why? What is what's the, what's the evidence of that? Well, Luke 24, verse 45. And he, Jesus, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. You can't do it on your own. You need Jesus to comprehend the scriptures. But still, that's not enough, according to Christ. There has to be the Holy Spirit to bring even more life to it. God's judgment upon Judas, according to Peter, Psalm 69, 25. Let his dwelling place be desolate. And the need for a replacement, Psalm 109, verse 8. Peter had been in the Word, and he comes across this. These are imprecatory psalms. These are psalms that invoke evil or curse on the enemies or, or the unrighteous. The New Testament church does not function this way, but that was before, and there have been changes, major changes since Pentecost. Let his dwelling, be, uh, dwelling place be desolate, barrenness. Let no one live in it. Forfeiture. Forfeiture. <laughs> he forfeited it. Let another take his office. Banishment. Three condemning let statements. Let his dwelling, let no one live in it, let another take his office. Very sad. Uh, Peter 
felt something had to be done. The scripture says another one is supposed to take his office. That's what the Bible says, Peter would have said. Well, Peter, always well-meaning, always, but impetuous nonetheless. In other words, the feelings rose up and began to dominate, captain the ship. Let's just review three of them. You can't go to the cross, Jesus, even though you said you're going to the cross. You know, be it far from you, (laughs) Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty serious. How about let's build three shrines, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And the father rebuked them, and they got very scared. And then how about, you know what, Malchus, I never liked you anyway. Uh, And he, you know, resisting the arrest of Christ with the sword. Uh, So this is Peter. And here he is saying, hey, the scripture says, and we got to be careful. Yeah, the Bible can say something. That doesn't give us right, the right to misapply it. And that's what I strongly believe Peter is doing here. And I'll make my case in a minute. I've read all the other guys, the good guys, too, that uh, don't agree with me. But, you know, what are they going to do about it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It'd be funny. Uh, I don't agree with them. And I'm not the only one, but the majority uh, take the position that Peter was right. Matthias was one of the 12. Well, I'm about to rip that apart, hopefully. I don't say that with pride. Okay, a little bit. Verse 21. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Okay, so he's now setting the standards. We can find a replacement. And so... He has to have been with us the whole time we were with Christ. Peter is setting the standard for apostleship, but it's not his place to do so. There's a fine line between initiative and impulse. And we all better watch it. You get your hands burned. If you're in public ministry, you get burned a few times. You begin to slow down. But maybe you get away with it. No one, you know, catches you or, or you know, whatever. We have to be careful to, you know, of what we say and do. Peter, the leader, blundered. That's what I am saying. And it's not the first time. That's why I read some of the other ones. If you are looking for a church without fault, then you'll be looking for a church forever. You won't find one. If you're looking for a pastor, exception of me, that has no faults, <laughs> you're not going to find him. And if you do, and you find a pastor, and he's like, man, this guy is great, and then he messes up just something that you don't care for, that crash is going to be pretty hard. You may even resent him now. We better be careful. Thank God for loyal Christians who do not take cheap shots at their pastors and their church and other Christians. Career critics, they have a fundamental disrespect for ordained leadership, And for the local church, and it is because they have a fundamental disrespect for God's word. You get, I've said this all the time because it needs to be said all the time. In Hebrews 13, Paul says, you better watch it. These men rule over you. Not your lives. They don't go to your home and tell you what color car to buy and things like that. When it comes to the house of God, they're the master and commander of the ship under the Lord. It does not give them license to be immoral. It doesn't give them license to be arrogant and puffed up and all those other things. It does give them the authority. And it is a reflection of a lack of understanding of Scripture and submission 
when you take cheap shots at them. And I know, again, I know there are going to be people who had a, live in other states listening to this message and they're maybe struggling with this. They may be saying, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm upset at the pastor because he didn't allow something. It has nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with the preaching of the gospel. I need to fix myself and lo- get in line. Find out what loyalty means. You can count. You can count on some Christians only if they approve of what you're doing. That is not loyalty. Uh, this needs to be said, and again, it needs to be repeated. Self-appointed exceptions are almost always a problem for somebody else. Well, you know, I'm the exception. You know, I know you've got this policy, but, uh, you know, that's, that's self-exaltation. Cut it out. Why am I saying this? Because here we have a picture of Peter, the leader, making a mistake. Well, that doesn't give license for people to abandon Peter. Say he's no longer apostle. He's no, longer, no, not at all. The church is going to keep moving forward with Peter. These are lessons for us. They're not just here for us to just read them and say, ooh, but that warmed my heart. Well, it's, that's good, but that's not enough. The Lord, he's going to withhold a verbal rebuke and appoint Paul about two, three years later. That, and we'll see that anyway. Incidentally. Here's Peter trying to appoint a replacement for Judas. Jesus had time to do that himself. There at the, at the Last Supper, when he said, go out and do, do what you do quickly, Jesus could have said, now listen, boys, I need you to appoint Matthias. Because, you, you know, he doesn't do any. He could have done it during the, after the resurrection. He does not. He would wait until after he baptized his followers with the Holy Spirit, and he waited some time after. Christ is in no hurry. He's got eternity on his side. It is interesting that no replacement was sought for James when they martyred him. I mean, granted, you can say, well, he didn't forfeit his position. But was it, was it that important to have 12 apostles? Well, Christ thinks it was, but it wasn't Peter's place to do it. And so uh, Jesus, of course, personally chose the original apostles Subsequent history shows the Lord choosing only one other man, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. Now, John, in his revelation, he saw in heaven 12 foundations with the names of 12 apostles on those foundations. Are you going to tell me Matthias' name was on there, not Paul's? When Paul was picked by Christ? personally, and Matthias was not. You see, there are apostles of the church, and there are apostles of Christ. Uh, this is made clear in 2 Corinthians 8.23. There are apostles of the church, those sent out by the church. Barnabas would have been one of those. And then there are the ones, for instance, Jude 17, he talks about the apostles of Jesus Christ. That's why when Paul wrote, what Peter caused here, every time Paul wrote a letter, he had to say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The only two times he doesn't, have to, he doesn't do that was Philemon and Hebrews. Other than that, he's constantly defending and fighting. He, I believe that may have been the thorn in his flesh. It may have just irked him so much that he had to do this all the time. And so had overzealous Peter waited for the promise, there would have been no oversight. But God is not going to humiliate the church, nor Peter, nor Matthias, by outright rejection. He's going to just tolerate it. Uh, And Paul's appointment will settle the matter. God knew Matthias was a good man uh, and faithful. He just wasn't his choice. 
And so we have no evidence that God chose Matthias. We'll come to that more. I, I hope you all are agreeing with me because I told you it's so important to me. <laughs> it, it, I, of course, who doesn't want everyone to agree with them? It's just not realistic to expect it. Verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John to that day, when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So says Peter. Peter, where'd you get that? Maybe he got it, John 15, 27, which in that context speaks about the Holy Spirit coming to them. John 15, 27, Jesus speaking to his disciples. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Well, maybe that stood out with Peter. John's gospel is not written by the, at this time in history, not yet. Uh, so you can say, well, maybe that was his basis. Anyway, still should have waited for the promise. John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John 14, 26, but the helper, <clears throat> again, the Greek is the paraclete, uh, the one that comes beside, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Well, they haven't gotten there yet. Else maybe Peter might have remembered to wait for the promise, but he does not. He will empower them to witness, to convict the world of sin, to discern, to see, to guide in all things, just like he does us. Any of you here think you can witness without the Holy Spirit just because you know Jesus Christ? You think, you know, Lord, I got this. Just go sit down and relax. I'll take it from here. Is there anybody that bad off in their theology? No. It's the other way, is it not? Lord, as Moses said, if you don't go with us, don't send me. We, we must have him. It is an imperative. And here we don't see it. Peter's standards disallow Peter's standard, well, he's got to be with us from the baptism of John all the years. He's a witness of the resurrection. Well, that disqualifies James, the, the brother of the Lord, all the brothers of the Lord. And it disqualifies Paul, that standard. So what does Jesus do in response to that? He dismisses Peter's criteria and restrictions, and he appoints Paul anyway. Why does he wait a couple of years? Probably to let it just all just kind of like, well, for other reasons too, I'm sure. But one of them would have been to just let the dust settle. Uh, it would be kind of rude. <laughs> the next day, he appoints the Apostle Paul. Uh, that would have been rough. Anyway, continuing in verse 22, am, am I the only one excited about all this stuff? Well, I, don't, I don't know. If you're catching this vision here, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Well, Paul would mention in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians 15, that he too is a witness of the risen Lord. Uh, and so uh, of his resurrection, a critical fact, Acts chapter 4, because the first church, those first Christians, they were all over the resurrection. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. We should be doing that. That's why we're reading this. We want to find out what is effective preaching and evangelism. Keeping in front of lost souls that Christ was killed and got up three days later. And really, he was never, never died anyway. He just left this world. He gave up the Spirit. So these are not poor standards that Peter gives. They're very important and well thought out. They simply lack the Spirit. 
and will be sidestepped by God. As Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. You'll see the outcome, whether it's wise or not. So if you take somebody, if you take yourself, you say, uh, I think it's wise to club myself in the head with a stick. And then you do so, and you'll stop doing it. And then you can say wisdom is justified. It's the outcome. Anyway, verse 23, and they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. Nice of them to narrow it down to two for the Lord. Um, there's another flag. He, they give God two choices. Okay, Lord, here's your choice. Can you imagine praying that to God? God, you either give me a million dollars or a billion dollars. Uh, I mean, so if you could, can you see the problems with this? I don't understand why my brothers, who I think are, okay, I have to say it. They're a little smarter than me. Uh, I don't see why they miss this. All right, we keep going here. So another proof is that um, this is another proof they should have waited. Limiting God. Do you do that? Do, are we, is it okay to limit God like this? I, I don't think so. Joseph called uh, Barabbas, the, uh, Barsabbas, Barbie, who was surnamed Justice. Nothing else is known of he or Matthias. Well, that, you could say that of Bartholomew also. So that's, that's not a slight on their character. But uh, we won't read of these men again. Verse 24, And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. Uh, well, I mean, you know, they got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> I mean, they have a 100% chance of getting a replacement. The replacements who are nominated have a 50-50 chance of being nominated. And so, you know, Joseph is saying, oh, I hope it's me, I hope it's me. <laughs> it's wonderful, yet it's defective that they would pray. They prayed and said, oh, Lord, you know the hearts. That's wonderful. But the key ingredient is missing. Baking a cake and forgetting to put the sugar in is not a cake anymore. It's something to give to somebody who can't taste anything. Uh, anyway... Verse 20, they prayed. Simply asking God is not a guarantee that you're right. Even in what you're praying. That's why with humility. Humility says just because I'm praying to God doesn't mean I'm right. And that's where humility comes in. Uh, you, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Yeah, the hearts were right in Peter, no question. But his actions were wrong. Show which of these two you have chosen. Now, I'm not saying Peter's sinning. He's just goofing up, blundering. Um, God's not the author of confusion in this case. The apostles are. If I was there, I would have backed up Peter. I would have thought this was the right thing to do. I wouldn't have had Acts chapter 2. I'm sure I wouldn't have said, hey, Peter, maybe he, remember he said, wait for the promise. We shouldn't be doing this. I probably would have been just right along with everybody else. And uh, verse 25, to take part in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. Self-ruined, supernatural opportunity. He had that supernatural opportunity of being with Christ, and he ruined it. Catastrophic is that tragedy. Judas, by transgression, fell, with no one else to blame but himself, that he might go to his own place. He is the one of few in Scripture whom we are told is in hell. He's called the son of hell, the son of perdition in other verses. Death brought no relief. He was a man of miscalculations because he did not enthrone Christ on his heart. Verse 26, we're still considering this interference. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. 
Um, they probably put two names in a container, wrote the names on something, and poured them out like you, like you do at Monopoly with the dice or something. And the name that fell out first was the one they picked. That's probably how they did it. It doesn't matter. Uh, the first choice doesn't mean it was God's choice. This is an Old Testament tactic. We never read of the Christians doing it ever again after Pentecost because they're now led by the Spirit. Uh, what if God did not like either of these two men as a choice? It was kind of presumptuous of them to say, oh, one of these have got to be the guy. Uh, what if God says, mm, no? Well, what's he supposed to do again? It had been a heavy blow on the church, you know. These leaders of yours, they're prone to make mistakes, and I have to keep overruling them. Well, that's not how God handled it in his grace and mercy. Uh, and the lot fell on Matthias, as I read. We never even hear of Jesus teaching of such a method. Uh, in consequence to this initial blunder, Paul had constantly, as I mentioned, to defend his right to be an apostle. But if Peter had never done this, it might not have gone that way. Verse, uh, finally, finally, at the bottom of verse 26, and he was numbered with the eleven. So the Lord tolerates their choice for the sake of the church, the apostles. But when you come to this and you read, and you say, and if you've ever done things for Christ, you say, Lord, thank you for being so merciful to them, because I've made my share of mistakes also. Jesus did not interfere. May we know when not to interfere. And I'm telling you, as believers filled with the Holy Spirit, you can still interfere with what's going on in the lives of others because you just are so passionate about something and it's not your place. May we be led by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, <clears throat> this morning... A lot of information, a lot of things taking place. These things were written for our edification. And as we often ask, may we avail ourselves of the lessons that you have shared with us through the lives of your people. If you're listening this morning and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've never confessed your sins before him, asked him to forgive you, then you are outside of God's plan of salvation. You are unforgiven. And none of your good works will save you. You need a Savior. You need someone better than you, bigger than you. And He is Jesus Christ. If you are going to be right with God, you've got to come to God. If you make this confession of faith, for example, Christ will receive you if you are earnest. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I ask you to forgive me. I come to you because there is no one else good enough and strong enough to die for me and rise again. And I ask that from this day forward, you would be not only the one who has saved my soul from judgment because of my sin, but also the one who rules over my life through the Holy Spirit. I give my life to you. Now, Father, if anyone has made this confession of faith this morning, may they not be ashamed of it. These things we commit to your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.